Good evening. Wow, that was very quiet. Good evening. Hi. Um, let's get all relational because tonight we're going to talk about dating. Like four of you excited about that. Half of you are totally freaked. Some of you think you're beyond it. Uh, but uh, we're in the middle of a series that we've called Life Goals. And our series called Life Goals is predicated on the understanding that we have a God in heaven who isn't just dealing with the macro stuff. So he's not just dealing with, with the huge stuff. I mean, uh, that would be enough, wouldn't it? Because he's got some big issues to sort out right now in our world. He's not just holding the world in the palm of his hands. He's also holding us. He totally understands us. And he has a plan for our lives. It's predicated on the understanding that dating is a spiritual issue. That marriage is a spiritual issue. That for those who say they follow Jesus, the way in which you parent is a spiritual issue. The way in which you do friendship is a spiritual issue. The way in which you do your singleness is a spiritual issue. The way in which you do every relationship becomes a spiritual issue because the foundational relationship in all of our lives, if we say we follow Jesus, is our relationship with God. And, and our this-way relationship is fundamentally connected to our these-way relationships. How we follow Jesus is fundamentally affected by, influenced by, the way in which we do relationships one with another. And so we have to talk about some of the real stuff of life. And some of the real stuff of life is awkward isn't it? It's awkward to talk about some of this stuff because this is where it gets real for us. This is where it gets personal and up close. This is where we have to engage with the fact that God knows. God has a plan. God's plan is better than our plan. God's got a book out and he has things to say. And this is where it gets really difficult for us when it comes to dating. It gets difficult because the context in which we talk about these things is fundamentally different from the context that God would want us to talk about these things. So doing some research this week on, on dating, I watched a few shows. <laughs> First date thing, Valentine's special. Amazing. I watched some celebrity dating thing, which is awful in every way. Oh my, and on my word, the, the thing that I was struck with was this. What is now totally normal, understandable, and not shocking is actually when you begin to think about it pretty abhorrent, the way in which we deal with individuals created in the image of God, the way in which we speak about people, the way in which we speak to people, the way in which we're intending to go about this dating deal. So the context in which we speak about this stuff is, is really difficult. We really ask, I mean, God's got a book out, but it, it feels like the world in which we live in is drinking at a totally different fountain. It's just totally not interested in, in that stuff and ignoring it and, uh, and dealing with some of the consequences of it. It's a difficult subject because this is real for you and me. And you have an experience and I have an experience or you have a lack of experience or I have a lack of experience or, or, or there's some pain in it, there's some things that haven't happened well. People have done things and said things to you that they shouldn't have done. You have done things and said things that you shouldn't have done. And when we come and talk about these things, often we don't want to talk about these things because it's difficult. It's a difficult issue because the church is just awkward at times, isn't it? 
my church kind of, this is just embarrassing. And in and, and church, we don't like to talk about sex. We don't like to talk about kind of the, I was going to say words I shouldn't have said then. I was going to talk about the, the kind of dirty stuff and, you know, the, the stuff that gets you kind of, you know, we don't like to talk about that stuff. We don't like to talk ethereally and enigmatically about principles. But God has things to say. Let me set this up well. How you date is a spiritual deal. Hannah set the whole series up brilliantly last week. And she talked about the fact that the ground level relationship on which we build every relationship is our relationship with God. And the principles of that relationship, the way in which we do relationships with one another, are all about humility and patience and kindness and bearing with one another. Why? Because it just reflects the image of God and the way in which he deals with us. So are you up for, are you up for not being awkward this evening? About a quarter of you. Some of you are really not sure. How awkward is he going to get? This could be... Would you turn with me to the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon? And uh, God's, God is not embarrassed about bodies. He made them. He wore one. He's not embarrassed about bodies. He's not embarrassed about relationships. And he has some things to say right in the middle of the word of God, which we believe is God-breathed. The Greek word is the word theonoustos. It's, it's the breathed word of God. God has said stuff. Right in the middle of that is a love poem. It's actually a sex poem. It talks about a man and a woman and how they relate to one another. And it gives us ideas on how we are supposed to date and how we're supposed to court and how we're supposed to get engaged and how we're supposed to be married and how we're supposed to fight in marriage and how we're supposed to make up in marriage and, and even how we're supposed to have sex. And it's, it's got the whole... I asked Thomas if he, would, if he would read it now that he was married publicly. He said he would probably still giggle. So, um, so we, we, trust me, we're just going to open it up. Please, if you've got a Bible, open it up to Song of Songs and, um, and we're going to... Uh, We're going to study in chapter 1 and 2. We're not going to read it because I'm actually going to study it verse by verse so we understand. This is a poem. It's a love poem. It's explicit. It's uncomfortable. And it's in the Bible. And it talks about a young couple. It talks about how they meet and they get to know each other. How they get engaged, how they have conflict, and how they have sex. It talks about the wedding and the wedding night. And, and it gives us some principles and some priorities. And trust me in this. If, if, if you follow these principles, it will save you a whole stack of pain. Not, not, not saying your life will be painless if you follow these principles, but I'm saying if you follow these principles as you begin and as you continue in a life of trying to build relationships one with another, trying to do dating well and honorably, then, then this will save you a whole stack of pain. So we've got Solomon, and we've got a girl. She hasn't got a name here, but we're told later that she's a Shulamite. That's her ethnicity, her family, her tribe, her clan thing. And, and what, what's going on in, in Song of Solomon 1 and 2 is they're describing their attraction and their dating. And effectively, what I want to deal with initially is what, we should, what should we be looking for if we're looking for someone to begin a relationship with? And some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm way beyond all this stuff. I've been married for 30 years. Yeah, 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 but your children aren't. 
or your grandchildren aren't, or your friends aren't. These are principles that are going to help every, every single one of us. What, if, what are we, when you come to the 615 at Central, what are you looking for? Don't think that I don't know. Don't think that I don't know that those, those eyes open in prayer are not just so that you can see what the Holy Spirit is doing. I know, I watch you. That's why I watch over there. I see what's going on, you guys over there, particularly this side over here. I know what's going on. We're going to look at chapters one and two. And I'm serious, if you're dating, this is going to take some notes. This is really going to help. Simple stuff, but it's going to help. What are you looking for in a guy or a girl? And this is really hard because the world has a very um, explicit and subliminal list of things that you should be looking for. Size eight, six pack, good hair, nice butt, earning potential. I mean, it's being serious, you know, there's probably a whole lot of other things on your list, but those things are on most people's lists. You know, they've got to look good, they've got to stand good, they've got to have good potential in them. Some, I can see some husbands poking their wives and saying, is that what you're looking at with me? That's what you've got. <laughs> look, she says here, look, look, look. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Hello. Your love is better than wine. Let him, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is, is more delightful than wine. Why, why? Look at verse 3. Why? Your name is like perfume poured out. Stop, stop here. Your name is like perfume poured out. She's not saying, oh, your name, John. Ooh, hubba, hubba. I love that name, or Rodriguez, what a name, that just takes me there, you know, she's not saying that, what's she saying, what you need to understand is, back in the day, a man's name spoke of his character, his virtue, his reputation, his integrity, so a man's name is his character, I want you, I want your kisses, because there is something deep in you, something strong and virtuous and right that I find so attractive that I want you to kiss me now. Guys, the, the word character comes from the word cruzo in the original, which is a metal tool for etching something, which means this, character is like an etching on your soul. Character is something that cannot be removed. Character is something that remains. It won't fade away. So girls, listen, first point, go for a name more than a six-pack. His name is more important than his looks because his looks will fade. His body will go south. The, the, the ripped bits will go wobbly. Trust me, it's going it's to happen. You know, the, the stuff that you went, oh, hubba hubba. Yeah, I, I, no, no, but that, that, that is all going to go away one day. But his love, his holiness, his gentleness, his kindness, his honesty, his patience, his humility the way he loves Jesus, that will grow. She says, no wonder the maidens love you, because I got you. No wonder the maidens love you. So, so what we're saying is don't chase a hunk who dresses nice, smells great, makes a ton of money, but will not respect you, honor you, and doesn't tell you how precious you are, because you're worth more than that. Let, let, let me overpress the point. Ladies, if you're dating a guy who's pressing you sexually, I don't mean he's getting a bit frisky. 
Because to be honest, if he's not getting at all frisky, if it's not a challenge for him, then he may have another problem with you. But I, I do mean this. If he's pushing you to do things and go places you don't want to go, let me suggest that he doesn't fear God. And the baseline of his relationship with you isn't his relationship with God. So what makes you think that that's all going to change because you get married? When he's confronted with the standard to love you as Christ loves the church. No, 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 no. You, you date a guy like that and you marry a guy like that, you buy yourself a whole lot of hell for your future. So, she loves his name, verse 4. And she says, take me away with you. Isn't that great? Let's talk about the girl. Verse 5. She says, I am dark. Dark like the tents of Kedah, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Uh, Kedah was a, a Bedouin tribe that had dark wool, so the tents were, were black. And what she seems to be saying, and uh, you know, we're not 100% here, but I think this is what she's saying. She says, I, I'm lovely, but I have a physical drawback, verse 6. Now, now, what you need to understand is you need to understand this culturally. It was, it was culturally a good thing to have pale skin, because pale skin meant that you spent an awful lot of time and an awful lot of money you know, with the creams, and some of you know what this is all about, with, with, with the creams, and, and staying inside and being pampered because you wanted to look good. Uh, it's, it's different today. I, I guess we pay thousands and thousands of pounds to go on holiday so we get a tan. But back in the day, you didn't want a tan. And she says, don't stare at me because I'm sunburned. I haven't taken care of my skin. And then she gives the reason. Check this out. Because my mother's sons, probably her brothers, but she doesn't say that, made her take care of the vineyard but my own vineyard I've not kept. In other words, she's saying, I worked hard to honor the authority over me and to look after my family's interests and I have neglected myself in the process. Friends, you're looking for a heart and an attitude, not just skin and selfishness. So boys, two, two thoughts. If you are dating a girl who cannot submit to any authority over her, or serve the needs of others before herself, then what makes you think she'll be able to mutually submit, honor you, and together you'll be able to live in anything other than entitlement and selfishness? Date a heart, not skin. Date a name, not a six-pack. And, and I've given you this advice before a number of times. If you want to find a partner... I'm not promising that this is a magic wand or that everyone's going to or it's all going to work out exactly the way that you want it to work out. But if you want to find a partner, the right kind of partner, the kind of partner that will encourage you in God, the kind of partner that will have integrity and a name and a heart, then run as fast as you can for Jesus. Pursue his ways. Make the ground base of your life your relationship with God and look to your right and look to your left and see who's keeping pace and then ask yourself, do I fancy them? serious because then you know they're running as hard too you know their heart is good you, you know their attitude is good find someone who's running as hard as you and then she's speaking again verse 7 here we go why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends I really like this woman it's really straight prostitutes would veil themselves and follow after the flocks and sell themselves to the shepherd and she is saying, there are certain things I will not do to get you. 
there are certain things I will not do to get you, and there are certain things I will not do to keep you. I am not willing to put in jeopardy in any way my relationship with God in order to have you before it's the time to have you. Because I have a heart. It's not just skin. You have a name. It's not just a six-pack. So moving on, we'll get back to that in, in, in just a moment. So we're attracted to one another. That's, that's what we're being told here. What do we do next? There are three things according to this, um, these couple of chapters of the Song of Solomon. And you know, honestly, Solomon should know a little bit about attraction. He, according to history, he had, um, I think, 500 wives and 500 concubines. So if there's like an expert in this, maybe he's the wrong example. I don't know. But, but he's definitely been around the block with some of this stuff. And three things you need, according to this book, if you're going to date in a godly way. Time, respect, and patience. Time, respect, and patience. Verse 8 onwards, you need time. And you need time in public places. That's what this implies. Be, be wise. What you're going to see in the, first, uh, the, the last half of chapter 1 is Solomon and his girlfriend out in the open spending time together with other people. That's, that's, this is not so intense. This is a party. This is, we're just hanging out with people, getting to know one another. Verse 12, the king is at his table. Implication, there are other people there. It would never be just the king and one other person at the table. There will be courtiers. There will be uh, servants. There will be people. Verse 17, the beams of our house are cedars. The rafters are firs. I'm pretty sure they're having a picnic outside. They've just gone out and they're having a picnic. Guys, listen, Be smart. Don't open the door to passion before it's time in the wrong place because you will not be able to close it. Make some premeditated principle decisions about how you're going to act because your baseline is your relationship with God before your heart is moved in the moment because when your heart is moved, you'll do whatever your heart tells you to do. You need time. And, 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 then, and then secondly, you need to, some, of you are, some of you are taking too much time, but you do need time. Some of you, I, I, I'm, this is just the word for some of you. Some of you, you know, you, her name is good, her heart is good, you love each other, you've been dating for a while, you want to be together, what are you waiting for? Divining rod? Because you know, God, I think God just gives us choices. I don't think he's, he's, you know, I don't think you need 10 prophetic words, four scriptures, and 10 years of being, of dating before you actually say, this is the person I'm supposed to spend my life with. Do do you love her? Do you love him? Is his name good? Is her heart good? Are you both running at the same pace? Some of you are just taking too much time. That's an aside that's not in the passage of scripture. Second thing you need is respect. There are a few people who paid me to say that last piece. No, they didn't. I'm joking. (laughs) Second thing you need is respect. Friends, you need to understand that the greatest sex organ in the body given to us is the mind. Respect and romance are cousins. So cultivate a friendship with gentleness. Guys, I wonder, boys, I wonder what you say to a girl to win her heart. If you've ever wondered, listen to what Solomon says. This is class, this is no cheese and no sleaze. Verse 9, look at this. 
I liken you, my darling, to a mare. Now, be very careful here. (laughs) You know, just be careful. I'm going around saying, you are a mare. (laughs) No, no, just you need to understand what this is. I liken you to a mare. You can't go around calling girls mares. Harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. You need to understand that in the Orient... Horses were not just beasts of burden, but were noble creatures. And according to the, to the commentators, there are two potential understandings. Both of them work. This mare was probably a white steed that led the army of the king of Egypt. And so he is saying this, you are one in a million. You are beyond value. Second possibility, in ancient warfare, a common tactic was to release a female horse amongst the enemy's chariots, because most of the enemy's chariots would be pulled by male horses. And the male horses got distracted and were difficult, difficult to control. Isn't that a brilliant tactic? Just release a female horse, all the male horses go, hello, and then they, they, they're, they're not up for attacking. He's saying, you're a distraction that is so powerful, I can't focus on anything else. And he calls her my darling. The Hebrew word here means someone I want to guard and care for. That's the way you speak to someone that you really like. Now, now let's just test this out. Guys, watch this. Ladies here, I've got a question for you. And the, the question involves you indicating whether you agree with this or not, okay? So watch this. How many of you, you get to indicate this, how many of you would love it If the guy that you like, he has the right name, remember, would say to you, you are one in a million, there is no one else for me, I am so distracted, I can't focus properly on anything else, I just find myself focusing on you, and I want to guard your heart and care for you. Put your hand up if you like a guy that you really like to say that to you. Come on. Right, now the boys, turn around and look. Seriously. No, seriously. Isn't, I mean, you might not use the same language, and you might think that's a bit cheesy, but actually the sentiments, yeah? You are one in a million. I am distracted for anything else because of you. I want to I spend my life guarding your heart and protecting you and keeping you Now look at what she says about him. Verse 12 and 13. She says this. My lover to me is a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover to me is a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. Now now you need to understand that one of the most precious and valuable things for a woman was her perfume. She talks about her her perfume, the sachet of myrrh that lay between her breasts in a day of limited bathing opportunities and hot weather. This was really, really important for a woman. This is vital. And so what she's saying is that you are the most valuable thing to me. She says, you make me feel so wonderful when I'm around. When you're around, I feel like a queen. I feel like a millionaire. I feel just tended for and looked after. Notice, notice, gentlemen, you have not laid a mitt on her. You've just told her how you feel. And she's just told you how she feels. You have a name, she has a heart. See what happens next when you respect. She's speaking, ladies, she's speaking. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. In fact, what she's saying is, I'm the most special woman in the world. That's what I feel like right now. I feel like the most special woman in the world. Compare this to chapter 1, verse 6. Don't stare at me because I'm dark. So something's happened between chapter 1, verse 6 to chapter 2, verse 1, where she says, I am the most special woman in the world when she said a minute ago that I don't stare at me because I'm dark. I'll tell you what's happened. Solomon has treated her like a queen. Her self-esteem has changed. Something has happened within her. Not only does this woman's view of herself go up, but also her view of Solomon goes up. She goes on to say, verse 3, my darling, you're like an apple tree among the trees. You're unique. There's no one like you. I delight to sit in your shade. I feel safe with you. Your fruit is safe, is sweet to my taste. I love your presence. Your banner over me is love. Your protection for me, your love is for me. Guys, all I'm trying to say is see how love grows. Do you want to date in a way that God intends? Treat her like a queen. And articulate how you feel. Tell her you love her. If you do. Don't do it on your first date. That'll just freak them out. <laughs> but, but tell her how you feel. Girls, treat him like a king. Tell, tell him how you feel. Once again, don't do it on the second date. That'll freak him out. What will grow? Self-esteem will grow, affection will grow, friendship will grow, and sexual desire will grow. Now we get, look at verse 5. Strengthen me with raisins. Raisins were considered by the Jews to be an aphrodisiac. It was like, kind of, give me a fruit scone kind of thing. Random. <laughs> In 2 Samuel, uh, David brings the Ark of the Covenant home to Jerusalem, and there's a massive party, like one of the huge parties that, 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 that goes on in Israel, and they're all drinking, and they're all dancing, and they're all having fun. And then, and then David uh, celebrates by giving all his people raisin cakes. And what he's saying is, go home and enjoy one another. Go home, be fruitful, and, and multiply. It's really important that these things happen in the right order. Attraction, dating, time, respect, restraint. Look at verse 7, vital verse. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Don't go down that path until it's the right time. In other words, you, you need to be ready to hold her heart before you sleep with her body. You need to be ready to hold his heart before you sleep with his body. You need to be ready to commit yourself to a relationship that goes the course before you enjoy the stuff that comes out of that relationship that's going to go the course. The, the Hebrews had three words for the word love, and, and they always talked about love in this order. They talked about uh, Rhea love. And what they meant by Rhea love was friendship love. You're, 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 you're finding out whether you like one another. You're friends one with another. You, you, you incorporate one another into your friendship group. And, you, and that love grows. And then, and then Ahava love. 
is covenant commitment love. It's the, I want to be with you because I love your name. I want to be with you because I love your heart. We're both running at the same pace for Jesus. We could do better together than we can apart. This is going to be great. I really like you and I love you. I'm going to covenant commit to you. We call it marriage. It's a haver love. And then they talk about dode love. Dode love is sexual love. Dode love is, is, is the joining of two people. And the Hebrews always said, wisely, I think, these things need to happen in this order. You, you, you do not ahava until you've rayat. You marry your friend. And you do not dode until you've ahavat, until you've said, you have my heart. And even when it doesn't feel like it, I will be married to you and I will love you and I will, I will cherish your heart. And then you're ready. I tell you why, because sex is never just skin on skin. It's never just flesh on flesh. It's always way more than that. You are not ready to sleep with her body until you can hold her heart. And so as you date, and, and this is so countercultural, and for some of us it feels so counterintuitive because we've bought into a culture that says the norm is celebrity speed dating thing at nine o'clock on a Friday night on channel, whatever. That's kind of the norm, that's how we relate one to another. But God says there's a different standard because the baseline is my relationship with you, my love for you, the way I deal with you. My, the baseline is relationship. The baseline is humility. The baseline is respect. The baseline is that you are meeting with people who are created in the image of God. The baseline is this is holy. This is holy stuff. This is not dirty. This is, this is holy. You have a name. And you have a heart. And there is a foundation. And I'm really aware that this kind of message falls into a very messy world. And I'm aware that, that you know, that the Spirit of God is here, but the Spirit of God is speaking to, to hearts where there is pain and there is hurt and there is experience and there is no experience and there's naivety and there are some of you starting out on your relational journeys and some of you, you know, drawing to the end of your relational journeys and some, some of you have regrets. I think, I think I want you to know this, that all of us stand before a God who loves like this. All of us get to deal with a God who loves us and says, you are, you are the most important thing to me. You, you are cherished by me. You're, you're important to me. The, what you do with your life and what you do with your body is not unimportant to me. I love you so much that I'm willing to send my son to die for you so that we can have a relationship. That's how much I love you. And, and, and the baseline of my relationship, it's, it's all about restoration and forgiveness and love and hope and future and life. And I'm inviting you into that. And you know what? I can, I can clean things up and I can heal things up and I can restore things. You're the focus of my heart. 
and, and all that we ever do in this life, even in the best of our marriages and the best of our relationships and the best of our friendships, are just pale imitations of the love of God for us, the sacrificial love of God for us, who says you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth more than this. I love you so much. And so as awkward as it has been, for you, not for me, for us, as awkward as it has been, this is really important. Because you know what? I see people breaking bits of themselves off on a daily basis because they doed before they ever havered. Because they buy into a rhythm and pattern and a foundation of this world and not the rhythm and pattern of God. Because although God's got a book out, they've decided to rewrite the book and do their own things. Because fundamentally, they've not really understood the love of God and how precious they are in his sight. So let's just pause and let's pray. Holiness is a really weird deal. Because it's not really so much about the stuff you don't do. You know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, I don't go to the wrong places or be with the wrong people. It's so much more about the things that we do do and it's so much more about what we do in relationship with others. And I think God is offering us a new standard and a new opportunity into holiness. This is the way I call you to live. This is the way. And the way in which he calls us into it is to woo us with his love, not beat us with his judgment. Calling you into this with my love. Drawing you into this with my forgiveness. I'm inviting you into this with my restoration. Because my love is better than life. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. And would you blow away on the wind all that stuff that was fleshy and of the preacher and let it not affect our hearts and lives. But would you sink deep in our hearts that stuff which was of you, for us, that will provide principles that change things? And would you come now with your healing, and with your gentleness? And would you place your finger on the stuff of our lives that has caused us hurt? and us damage and other people hurt and other people damage and would you bring your forgiveness to bear would you bring your forgiveness to bear
God, in a world that's, uh, that's just full of mess, full of pornography and full of bad decisions being made, I ask that you do something in this generation that will bring your holiness to bear and your purity that would bring light into darkness. So Holy Spirit.